Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, August 8th, 2022, the 565th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber on Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You will get all the podcasts, when they are released, all the writing right when it's released. And it would be the best way to support me, support the work I do, and support this show. And a huge thank you to everyone who has been doing that. It means a lot, and it allows me to spend more time focused on the work. Also, a thank you to Sasha Stone, who recorded an interview with me last week. You might have heard that on the podcast on Saturday. And there's been just such a great response to that interview. So I appreciate all of you who listened and who are responding positively to it. So I want to start out sharing a little story from the weekend. It was one of those moments where you're like, are we actually in a simulation? Why is everything happening in the world 
complete and total nonsense everywhere you look. It's like the false reality that's been created is consistently bumping up against the concrete, empirical, observable reality that we all are actually experiencing. I went to lunch yesterday with two friends of mine. It was one of their birthdays on Saturday, so we had a little uh, lunch yesterday and a couple of margaritas at this Tex-Mex place in Austin called Matt's El Rancho, which, by the way, I absolutely love. Shout out to Matt's El Rancho. And if you're in Austin, go there and get the Bob Armstrong dip because it's a damn good queso and it's always a great time over there. So we we take a we take a seat at a table in the bar. And, you know, if you're there during football season or basketball season, you'll see football or basketball on the TVs in the bar. And we're not in football or basketball season. We're in baseball season. And I don't know if maybe there were just no baseball games on at that point or if simply nobody cares about baseball. But on ESPN, they were broadcasting the championship of the American Cornhole League. Now, I didn't know that something like this existed. If you're not familiar with the game Cornhole, it's basically a beanbag tossing game, kind of like horseshoes. You basically take a beanbag, toss it like 25 feet, and you try to get it in the hole of this little ramp on the other side. And it's the sort of thing you might play at a picnic or a pool party with a beer in your hand. It's just some casual fun. It can get competitive. You can be good at it, I guess. But it's not something that requires a whole lot of athletic prowess, let's say. But nonetheless, ESPN has decided that this is worth putting on national television. So there was championship cornhole on the TV at this Tex-Mex restaurant. And we were like, wow, would you look at that? Check these professional athletes out. And now this is no insult to the people who are apparently very good at cornhole. But what? And you immediately think of the movie Dodgeball, like, oh, this sport that's not really a sport is being shown on ESPN. And I think in Dodgeball, they had like ESPN 8 and they called it the Ocho. But this was normally ESPN. So they have World Championship Cornhole on the TV. And I'm not saying I caught any of the professional athletes doing this, but I have to wonder if they're able to drink beer in the middle of the matches. Maybe it's just, you know, not while you're on TV. It's probably one of the most important rules of the American Cornhole League. You can't drink on television during the championship match. People won't take this seriously. So my friend starts telling us a story. We laughed a lot. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, they had a, a winner of the cornhole match and they moved on. ESPN just can't begin showing lower level cornhole matches. Not once we've reached the pinnacle. So they switched over and shocked my brain further when they began broadcasting the World Chase Tag League. It's like... American gladiators for vegans, basically. It's one team versus the other, but they do one-on-one -on -one, and there's a tagger and someone who's got to get away and 
There are all sorts of articles that they have to duck under or jump over or swing from so that they can get away. And then one of them tags the other one and then they hug. And this definitely requires more skill and athleticism, I think, than the championship cornhole league. But once again, something that 10 years or so ago was a complete and total joke from a comedy movie is now just there in real life. But I guess it's probably time that we will be forced to accept a brand new definition of professional athlete. And right after my entire world has been flipped upside down in regard to what constitutes a sport, four ladies sit down at a table not too far away from ours, and within a few minutes of them sitting down, they begin drinking four Shirley Temples. I mean, what are the odds that four adults sitting at a table at a fine Tex-Mex restaurant are just knocking back Shirley Temples? You just don't see a whole lot of that from adults. But things just kept getting weirder. On the drive home, a song was playing on the radio and I was just, you know, we were all just chatting in the car, but it was one of those times where one of the lyrics just sneaks through. And I was like, wait a second. Did this song just say there's COVID on planes? And my friends were like, That cannot be what this song just said, but my friend's radio displays the name of the song. And so I looked up the lyrics to this song and the song's called Stick Season. It's by an artist named Noah Kahan. And it is entirely possible that maybe this is just all sarcastic, but here is the verse. Now I am stuck between my anger and the blame that I can't face. And memories are something even smoking weed does not replace. And I am terrified of weather because I see you when it rains. And Doc told me to travel, but there's COVID on the planes. And it goes on. And I love Vermont, but it's the season of the sticks. I don't know what that means. Maybe that's fall. And I saw your mom. She forgot that I existed. And it's half my fault, but I just like to play the victim. I'll drink alcohol till my friends come home for Christmas. And I'll dream each night of some version of you that I might not have, but I did not lose. Now your tire tracks and one pair of shoes and I'm split in half, but that'll have to do. So I thought that if I piled something good on all my bad, that I could cancel out the darkness I inherited from my dad. No, and I'm no longer funny, but I miss the way you laugh. You once called me forever now, but you still can't call me back. And this sounds like it was written by some hipster vegan right after he lost the World Tag Championship. The weed has stopped making him happy. He's scared to travel because of COVID on planes, even though to this point there has not been a single COVID outbreak on the planes. Isn't that strange? We have never heard of a COVID outbreak on planes. We've also never heard of a COVID outbreak among homeless people. Now, the planes, they tell us, that's all about the HEPA filter. That filters the air. It takes the COVID away. Therefore, the plane is safe. We had planes 
for a while during COVID with no masking. Then we had a whole long period where everybody had to wear masks on the plane to prevent COVID using masks that don't work that they could take off to eat or drink. But the rest of the time you were really supposed to leave them on. No one's going to really check, but the citizens will enforce this obedience on other citizens. And that's going to do the trick that will accomplish the actual goal. The actual goal is not preventing COVID. The actual goal is making people follow rules, even if they don't make sense. So the weed doesn't work. He's scared of COVID on the plane. He's pining for this girl. He goes back to his hometown. No one really remembers him. So he decides that he's just going to drink until things get better. But you see, it's not his fault. He is just expressing the darkness that he inherited from his dad. He's able to act out in whatever way he wants, but you can't blame him because it's not his fault. You see, it's his dad's fault. So there's nothing that can be done to make it better. What's important to remember is that you can't actually expect people to try to fix their problems and not unleash them on the world through their actions. You simply have to understand it's not actually their fault. And if you had any compassion at all, you would never even think to criticize someone's behavior. And you definitely can't criticize the song because that's pretty much his dad's fault, too. So we continue on driving and there was a billboard that literally said pedestrians, comma, obey signals with like a walk sign on it as if people don't know how to walk across the street. But hey, you always need a reminder. Don't get hit by cars. Look both ways before you cross the street. Sure, we all learned that as five-year-olds and have been doing it very consistently ever since. I would say that with the exception of today's homeless people, almost everyone makes a concerted effort not to get hit by cars while crossing the street. So conceptually, the billboard is very weird right away, but pedestrians, comma, obey signals is a very strange way to frame that. In one sense, it's a very dystopian message. I mean, sure, you can accept it at face value and say, oh, this is just a friendly reminder to look across the street at the walk sign and only go when the sign tells you it's safe. But the idea that we should obey signals takes on a different meaning in the context of what we've dealt with for the last two years. We've been given an endless list of of instructions from an ever-increasing number of sources. And most of them, by the way, are our government. And the messages are being disseminated with our tax dollars. There was a commercial on in the car for the COVID shot brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services. That means that part of the HHS's budget is going to this sort of advertising and marketing so that our government can convince us that we have to involve ourselves in the medical experiment as part of our social responsibility. And because it's absolutely clear beyond doubt now that taking the experimental gene therapy does not do anything to slow the spread, 
and it doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. It doesn't prevent you from getting sick with COVID and it doesn't prevent you from dying. What could their motivation be for continuing to use taxpayer dollars to market this product to taxpayers? What is the overall social good we hope to achieve from the mass acceptance of the experimental gene therapy? And why in the world would we want our tax dollars being used to promote that? If the experimental gene therapy worked and was safe and made sense for a disease that could actually kill people at a rate higher than the average flu, you wouldn't need to advertise it to people. People would already want it. People do want to look out for their health and people do want to look out for the health of others. Those goals just aren't reached through the mass acceptance of the experimental gene therapy. There is no doubt about that at this point, which is why they try to prove it with things like mathematical models instead of just observable reality. The word pedestrian is weird as well. Now, again, of course, in a practical sense, you could describe someone walking around a neighborhood and crossing streets as a pedestrian. That is exactly what that is. But there's another sense of pedestrian, which means common. And so if you want to parse that billboard, if you want to rephrase pedestrians, comma, obey signals, you could do so by saying commoners do what you're told. Follow the rules. This is not some big societal problem that they're going after. They are reminding people to follow the rules about something they would naturally do anyway. Why? Does this exist? And you might say, you're reading a little too much into this. Maybe you're giving this a little too much attention. But am I? What kind of conditioning is this? You don't need to be told to follow the rules about stuff you're already doing. Are there a lot of people just walking into traffic and getting hit that would have instead remembered not to do that because of this sign? That doesn't seem possible to me. They remind us all to buckle up. I have rarely in my life ever been in a car with a driver who won't buckle up. Pretty much everyone just buckles up every single time they get in the car. And so what's the effect of these strange notices? We know we're already following those rules that we're being told to follow. So how do we feel when we see these messages? Oh, well, yeah, okay, but only stupid people would disobey this rule. This message isn't really for me. This message is for the stupid people that don't know how to use walk signs properly, who don't know how to buckle up when they get in the car. And then we just imagine this set of people, this group that is unaware of things like this. These are the people who don't follow the rules. These are the people who actually create the problems that could be solved if everyone just simply followed the rules. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this sort of messaging over the long timeline it's been deployed in our society has in some way inculcated that effect. We imagine that the only people who don't follow the rules are the very stupid people. Everybody should be following the rules because everybody knows that those rules are in place to help everyone. 
They're there to save us. This is how you save lives. You look at the crosswalk sign. You make sure to put your seatbelt on. You mask up whenever you're told. Every person gets a six foot buffer around them in a circle. That's your personal space. Everybody needs to inject themselves whenever they're told. It's for the best. Everyone needs it. Everyone should do it. And the only people who don't follow the rules are the stupid and ignorant and the uncaring. For the rest of us, we get that nice little emotional reward when we read a billboard like that. It just gives us a soft little pat on the back. Oh, hey, you're one of the good ones. You look at the walk sign before you move into the crosswalk. And that's it. It's a nice little reward for the commoners when they obey the rules. So I get home thinking, well, this world seems to have gone mad. And then I began looking into the news of the day and things only got weirder from there. The Congress, who is supposed to be on recess right now, stayed at work through the weekend and on a Sunday in the middle of summer passed a $740 billion package that they're calling the Inflation Reduction Act. They're doing this through a process called reconciliation. This is the description of reconciliation according to the House Budget Committee. This was updated last year, August 11th, 2021. The chairman of the House Budget Committee is a man named John Yarmuth. Yarmouth is a Democrat from Kentucky, but you wouldn't know that by visiting his website where it basically doesn't say he's a Democrat anywhere. And you have to wonder why, because these people generally advertise themselves as the saviors of the world. They're going to save the planet. They're going to solve racism with black squares. They're going to fix everything about the economy. They're going to guide us through this transitionary post-pandemic period into our better tomorrow. So budget reconciliation, the basics. Reconciliation is a tool, a special process that makes legislation easier to pass in the Senate. How is it different from a regular bill? Instead of needing 60 votes, a reconciliation bill only needs a simple majority in the Senate. And that's what they got yesterday. 50 senators on each side, the 50 Republicans voting against the bill, 50 Democrats voting for it. And then the tiebreaker is Kamala Harris. And of course, Kamala Harris was not legitimately elected as vice president. In fact, many of the people who voted for this bill are not sitting in their offices legitimately either. But let's leave that aside for now and focus on reconciliation here. Reconciliation starts with the Congressional Budget Resolution. The budget cannot be stalled in the Senate by filibuster, and it does not need the president's signature. If the budget calls for reconciliation, it tells certain committees to change spending, revenues, deficits, or the debt limit by specific amounts. Each committee writes a bill to achieve its target, and if more than one committee is told to act, the budget committee puts the bill together into one big bill. The bill has special status in the Senate. Like the budget, it cannot be filibustered and only needs a simple majority to pass. So why not use it for everything? Other special rules 
which are designed to protect the rights of the minority party, apply to reconciliation bills. Only policies that can change spending or revenues can be included. Senate debate time is limited, and only certain kinds of amendments can be offered. For example, the Social Security program cannot be changed in reconciliation. I'm going to jump down a bit in this description. The benefits of reconciliation in the Senate. The reconciliation procedures in Senate committees are similar to those in the House. In the Senate, however, reconciliation bills are subject to expedited procedures during floor consideration, as well as specific limits imposed by the so-called Byrd Rule. The first major benefit is that debate on a reconciliation bill or reconciliation conference report is limited to 20 hours, so it cannot be filibustered on the Senate floor. The practical effect is that the bill can be passed with a simple majority vote, in contrast to most legislation, which requires a 60-vote supermajority to invoke closure and limit debate. After time for debate has expired, senators may continue to offer amendments, but they are not debatable. This is colloquially referred to as votorama. Second, amendments to a reconciliation bill must be germane, which is not normally the case in the Senate. Third, with only a few exceptions, amendments to a reconciliation bill on the Senate floor cannot increase the deficit. They must either lessen the deficit or be deficit neutral. One exception is that amendments striking an entire provision are always in order, even if the provision being removed saves money. In the Senate, if the reconciliation bill fails to comply with the committee's target, there is a procedure to allow non-germane floor amendments to bring the bill into compliance with the reconciliation instructions. So we're being told that this new bill must, to use the reconciliation rule, lessen the deficit or be deficit neutral. But who could possibly believe that? They're saying this is actually going to help inflation, which is complete and total nonsense. They initially told us that inflation wasn't real. Then it wasn't a problem. Then it was transitory. Then it was Putin's price hike. And now inflation can only be cured by printing and spending more money. We are going to cure what we were told was a non-existent problem by doing the very things that create that exact problem. It's kind of the same idea that they use to justify making absolutely everything in the world about race, even when teaching elementary school kids. Reuters covered reconciliation last year when the Senate's infrastructure package was being discussed. They write, reconciliation is not like it sounds. What happens when opponents settle their differences? It's rather the opposite an instrument for the Senate majority to ram through legislative priorities over minority opposition. The reconciliation procedure enables the 100-member Senate to pass measures with a simple majority vote instead of the 60 votes required by Senate rules to stop debates known as filibusters. That means Democrats, who currently have 50 Senate seats, can stop trying to get at least 10 Republicans to vote with them. Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris can break a tie, giving the party a majority. In the same article, they write, The party, which holds the thinnest possible Senate majority, in the coming weeks intends to use the maneuver to pass the parts of Biden's infrastructure program that don't attract bipartisan support. 
So we should take this as a clear signal that they're passing this bill knowing that it does not have bipartisan support. And they believe that somehow they're justified in doing this because they were given this massive mandate by voters. 81 million real legal American votes were cast to put all of these Democrats in office and they had a certain agenda. Now they need to gift their agenda to the entire country because they had such overwhelming electoral support and absolutely no election fraud. It was, in fact, the safest and most secure election of all time. So sure, people are fleeing the Democrat Party and changing their registration. Joe Biden is around 20% with independence. Democrats are the only people still propping up Joe Biden's poll numbers. He is widely seen as the worst president of all time. And more than half the country, well, more than half the country understands he wasn't even legitimately elected. But yet they're passing this sort of bill, not concerned whatsoever about getting bipartisan support. They don't care about the opposition from the minority party at all or from any of the people. Now, how can they keep doing so many things that the American public does not support at all. Under what conditions is that possible? It wouldn't be possible under normal political conditions with a free and open information stream because the politicians who vote for stuff like this would have to go home and explain it to their constituents. And they could be held responsible for these decisions by their voters through elections. But they don't care about that accountability. They don't care what the voters think because they're not concerned about losing their elections. Why is that? Why aren't these politicians concerned with doing the business of the American people? Sure, they know that there is a small percentage of people out there who believe everything the television says. They have the media and the tech companies and the corporations all captured. They're all aligned with the same agenda. So they're going to spread this message that only a very few people will believe only a very few people will argue for and support. But because they have this massive effort to spread this message, they'll make it seem to people like there is actually a side of this that is in some way practical or supported by the people in the country. And it's that illusion of support that matters. They don't care about the actual support. You can tell they don't care about the actual support because they pass all sorts of things that virtually no Americans support. One would think that when considering passing things with such little support, our elected representatives might pause and think, how am I going to explain this to the constituents? How am I going to win an election when everyone hates what I'm doing? John Yarmouth won't even put that he's a Democrat on his website. There is a page with Kentucky in blue, but that's about all I can see. Why is he afraid to tie himself to the Democrat Party brand in Kentucky? It's a mystery. So they use the reconciliation process because they don't care about the opposition from the minority party. They don't care about what the public actually thinks because they can't be held accountable in elections. And they're trying to sell it to everybody as one of the best things that has ever passed 
through the House and the Senate. They're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act, but they know that it will not reduce inflation. And they, of course, will trot out their economists and experts that say that it will. But even the Congressional Budget Office says it won't. Even career communist Bernie Sanders says it won't. Take a moment to say a few words about the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that we are debating uh, this evening. And I say so-called, by the way, because according to the CBO and other economic organizations who have studied this bill, it will, in fact, have a minimal impact on inflation. So increasing the money supply is the thing that creates inflation. There are more dollars chasing after fewer goods. That's how it's often described. Bernie Sanders himself is referencing the Congressional Budget Office when he says this will have a minimal effect on inflation. And of course, they mean a downward effect. They want to reduce the inflation. And so they're using the thing that creates inflation to accomplish that goal. We're being told specifically that it will not accomplish that goal, but still we have to pass it. And with that in mind, it becomes pretty clear that Bernie Sanders is looking out for his own personal brand. Bernie Sanders has always been about Bernie Sanders. Part of Bernie Sanders brand is that he's honest with his constituents and looking out for their financial needs. That's kind of the whole sell on communism, or as Bernie calls it, democratic socialism, which he does not in any way distinguish from socialism, except to say or imply at least that the people have empowered his socialism. Well, his socialism would never actually work. The problems would remain. The socialism can't actually solve the problems that he talks about. But the solution is always more socialism. We haven't done socialism well enough. How much more socialism can you add on before democratic socialism becomes just normal communism? People have installed communists in office in the last two years, believing that they did so democratically. All of these people were elected. The people actually have chosen this. But the elections are illegitimate. And few people know that better than Bernie Sanders, who himself was burnt twice by the Democrat Communist Party through election fraud during the primaries. But Bernie Sanders doesn't care because Bernie Sanders is a dyed-in-the-wool communist. He is sincerely convinced that what he is doing is actually looking out for the economic needs of the people. And sure, it's extremely dumb. But you have to remember that he's marketing this program to people who wore two masks in the car by themselves. So the bill was passed through reconciliation, ignoring minority opposition, ignoring the will of the American people. It is not going to reduce inflation. It will almost definitely exacerbate the inflation problem and will probably do so relatively quickly. But the key point is that it was never about inflation to begin with. And it doesn't have to be because their supporters are not going to check. 
They're going to listen to the television. They're going to be told that this bill will help the inflation problem. And they will argue that it will, even though they don't understand why or how it could. People who have absolutely no reason to argue in favor of this will argue in favor of it because they think that it will pragmatically advance other parts of their agenda. And so it's worth it because, again, they're the people saving the world and they're saving the world from us. The funny thing is to be able to really sell this, to be able to market it to people to the point where they'll go out and try to convince other people to support it, or at least just remain silent and not object. You have to tell them that it's going to fix a problem that they actually care about. They don't care whether or not you're right about that. They want to feel like you guys are the good guys. You guys are the ones coming to save me from this problem. I have a problem with the inflation. Please do something to fix my problem. Thank you. This is the Inflation Reduction Act. I couldn't have asked for anything more, but there's more. There's other things in the bill. Will they help me too? Well, this is Chuck Schumer's tweet from yesterday afternoon. To the tens of millions of young Americans who have spent years marching, rallying, demanding that Congress act on climate change, this bill is for you. So apparently we have to trust that there is a group of tens of millions of people who wants Congress to act on climate change, but we can leave that aside. We'll take that as a given. Okay. There's so many people out there who are like, please save the earth from the sun. The earth is being attacked by the sun. Please save us with special windows and windmills. Please pay for more electric cars. Can everyone afford them? Of course not. Only the rich people get electric cars. And because they're so expensive, we're going to give some of you American taxpayer money to go out and make electric cars a little bit more affordable. And that's to encourage everybody to get electric cars, even though most people don't want electric cars, even if they could afford them. And of course, the electric cars rise in their price because now it's not just your money trying to buy the car. It's your money plus $5,000 from the government. So why not raise the price of the car $3,000 and you'll still be getting a discount. But why are electric cars the solution? We know that the power has to come from somewhere. We know that electricity is generated by coal and natural gas in addition to the green sources, although, although natural gas is green now in Europe, they just switched that a few weeks ago. Nuclear is green in Europe too. But for the most part, the energy that goes into the electric car is still originally produced with fossil fuels. And then of course we have the minerals that go into the batteries like lithium and cobalt. Those things are mined by essentially slaves and child slaves, but let's just call them workers, right? They're just, we wouldn't want to have to feel like there is some moral problem involved here with the creation of electric cars because electric cars are going to be what allows us to save the planet from the sun. And that is the highest morality. So any immorality that collects beneath it 
Well, that stuff we can just ignore because what we're doing is we're chasing the highest morality. Anything you have to do to get there is worth it. You got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And if those eggs come in the form of poor African child slaves, at least someday we might be able to save the planet from the sun. So the Inflation Reduction Act that does not fix in any way the inflation problem that we were told initially didn't really exist and didn't really matter gets passed through reconciliation, leaving the minority party, the opposition out of the conversation. The will of the American people isn't served, but they don't care because they know that the elections are not actually decided by the people. The people don't have the ability to hold them accountable. So why would they stop doing what they want to do? That Inflation Reduction Act is really about saving the planet from the sun. This is going to fix climate change. The person that we are always reminded is a Nobel Prize winning economist, Paul Krugman, tweeted yesterday in the afternoon, what a moment. Don't let anyone minimize it by saying that progressives didn't get everything they wanted. Democrats, and it was only Democrats, have given us a real chance at avoiding an existential climate crisis. So the Inflation Reduction Act saves us from climate change. And this is everything the Democrats ever wanted. This is going to fix climate change, or at least it gives us a fighting chance. And because that's one of the very highest goods, then everybody needs to be happy about it. Don't minimize it. Talk about how great it is. This is all we have ever wanted. It's not Joe Biden's $4 trillion Build Back Better plan or his. No, it's just a smaller version of basically the same priorities. They've been trying to accomplish a bunch of these priorities for the entire time. The fake president has been in office presiding over this illegitimate Congress. So even though this bill and this process has virtually no support anywhere except within the top levels of the Democrat Communist Party, and it won't help anybody. What we're going to do is we're going to sell it to everybody as the solution for climate change. So then if you're not happy with this bill, if you have a problem with the fact that it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, even though it doesn't reduce inflation, if you have a problem with the fact that it's being used to give money away to electric car manufacturers and those people who feel like buying an electric car and have the money to do it, if you have a problem with the minerals that go into the building of electric cars, if you complain about this in any way, then you are, or you must be at least, a climate denier. But that's not all you have to accept in this bill if you want to avoid being called a climate denier. This is from the Washington Free Beacon on Saturday. The headline is, Dems poised to make IRS larger than Pentagon, State Department, FBI, and Border Control combined. If Democrats have their way, one of the most detested federal agencies, the Internal Revenue Service, will employ more bureaucrats than the Pentagon, State Department, FBI, and Border Patrol combined. Under the Inflation Reduction Act negotiated by Senator Joe Manchin, the agency would receive $80 billion in funding to hire as many as 87,000 additional employees. 
The increase would more than double the size of the IRS workforce, which currently has 78,661 full-time staffers, according to federal data. And oh, thanks, Joe Manchin. Thanks for coming around and doing the will of the people finally. Right. That's how it's being presented. Joe Manchin said no to build back better. Joe Manchin said no to build back better again and again and again and again. And people thought, oh, what a good guy Joe Manchin is. He really stands on his principles. Some people even suggested that maybe Joe Manchin should switch and be a Republican because he was really representing the interests of West Virginians. And that's exactly what we need in our politicians. But it turns out Joe Manchin just waited the process out. And when it finally came down to it, he voted for many of the same things he previously said he would not support. And of course, Kirsten Sinema went right along with that as well. The additional IRS funding is integral to the Democrats' reconciliation package. A congressional budget office analysis found the hiring of new IRS agents would result in more than $200 billion in additional revenue for the federal government over the next decade. More than half of that funding is specifically earmarked for enforcement, meaning tax audits and other responsibilities such as, quote unquote, digital asset monitoring. That would make the IRS one of the largest federal agencies. The Pentagon houses roughly 27,000 employees, according to the Defense Department, while a human resources fact sheet says the State Department employs just over 77,243 staff. The FBI employs approximately 35,000 people, according to the agency's website, and Customs and Border Protection says it employs 19,536 Border Patrol agents. The money allocated to the IRS would increase the agency's budget by more than 600%. In 2021, the IRS received $12.6 billion. Although Democrats say the hiring of additional IRS agents will help root out tax cheats and other criminals, federal tax revenues have steadily risen over the past several decades. Federal tax receipts are projected to hit $5.7 trillion in 2027, up from just over $4 trillion last year without additional IRS agents. But the roughly $450 billion in new spending proposed by the Democrats requires new funding mechanisms. Some of the new spending includes $161 billion for clean electricity tax credits and $64 billion in new Affordable Care Act subsidies. The majority of new revenue from IRS audits and scrutiny will come from those making less than $200,000 a year, according to a study from the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. The committee found that just 4 to 9% of money raised will come from those making more than $500,000. Contrary to Democrats' claims that new IRS agents are necessary to target millionaires and billionaires who hide income. Senate Republicans argue that the roughly $45 billion the bill puts towards hiring IRS agents could be better spent on other priorities, such as helping students rebound from the learning loss suffered during COVID school closures. A proposal by Senator Tim Scott would amend the spending bill to put IRS money toward education tax credits. And fine, but also whoop-de-doo. Make sure these bills don't get passed at all. Don't try to redirect unnecessary spending to more ostensibly conservative policies. Just stop spending. 
When faced with the decision to spend $45 billion on America's largest revenue collection agency or give it back to parents to help them get their kids the help they need, the Senate needs to choose the latter option every single time, Scott told the Free Beacon. Or, hear me out, you could just not tax the people for money they don't want spent. Why don't you just give it back to all of the people who paid it? Instead of trying to influence behavior, the Washington Free Beacon previously reported that despite White House claims to the contrary, the Inflation Reduction Act does little to combat inflation. A report from Moody's Analytics found the Democratic bill will shave just 0.33 percent from the consumer price index over the next decade. So the bill is passed through the reconciliation process. Kamala Harris the illegitimate vice president is the deciding vote. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but it does not reduce inflation. It subsidizes electric cars. Therefore, it's saving the planet from the sun. It is everything that climate activists have always dreamed of. But we also get 87,000 new employees of the IRS part of their enforcement arm. They want to make sure that everybody is following the rules about how much money you have to give the government so they can do whatever they want with it with no accountability. What we really need is to spend $80 billion and give them 87,000 new agents. But don't worry, they're not going to come after you. They're only going to come after the rich people. They would never, let's say, target conservatives, except they did that. Not that long ago, under Barack Obama, they are basically the collection arm for the government mafia. They're the people that go around and make sure everybody's paying, you know, for their government protection. Sure, you don't want the government doing all these things, but you don't have a choice, so you have to pay up. And people are a little worried about this because this also comes among relatively recent news that these agencies and the IRS in particular buy a whole lot of guns and a whole lot of ammo. Why do they have any of that? This is an article from Forbes in 2017. Why are federal bureaucrats buying guns and ammo? $158 million spent by non-military agencies. We live in a dangerous world. For the 70,000 officers at Homeland Security and the 40,000 officers within the Department of Justice, proper training and equipment are vital to their daily law enforcement duties. Over a nearly two-year period, the last years of the Obama administration, these law enforcement agencies spent $138 million on new guns and ammunition. That seems reasonable. What's curious, however, is that traditionally administrative agencies spent more than $20 million. Four notable examples. The 2300 special agents at the IRS are allowed to carry AR-15s, P-90 tactical rifles, and other heavy weaponry. Weapons of war! Recently, the IRS armed up with $1.2 million in new ammunition. This was in addition to the $11 million procurement of guns, ammunition, and military-style equipment procured between 2006 and 2014. Oh, good. A militarized tax collection agency. 
that no one really knows about. But someone has to collect all this money for the central banks. I mean, we owe them and they deserve our money because they accomplish the impossible task of printing currency for us. The Small Business Administration spent tens of thousands of taxpayer dollars to load its gun locker with Glocks last year. The SBA wasn't alone. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service modified their Glocks with silencers, which I guess are important for covert operations against grizzly bears. The Department of Veterans Affairs has a relatively new police force. In 1996, the VA had zero employees with arrest and firearm authority. Today, the VA has 3,700 officers armed with millions of dollars worth of guns and ammunition, including AR-15s, Sig Sauer handguns, and semi-automatic pistols. Meanwhile, the Department of Health and Human Services agents carry the same sophisticated weapons platforms used by our special forces military warriors. The HHS gun locker is housed in a new National Training Operations Center a facility at an undisclosed location within the D.C. Beltway. The Department of Health and Human Services has been armed up like our special forces. Last year, we released our OpenTheBooks.com oversight report, The Militarization of America, in an editorial published with former U.S. Senator Dr. Tom Coburn at The Wall Street Journal. Our report quantified the $1.48 billion spent by 67 non-military federal agencies on guns, ammunition, and military-style equipment from 2006 to 2014. So you can't have guns. We need to get guns out of the hands of average American citizens in violation of their Second Amendment rights, but the government can have all the guns they need for any reason. But don't worry, that shouldn't be threatening to you. In fact, they're protecting you so long as you follow the rules. This week, our organization at OpenTheBooks.com updated our data to include gun and ammo purchases over fiscal year 2015 and a partial fiscal year 2016. Spending on guns and ammo at 58 non-military federal agencies, including 40 regulatory administrative agencies, amounted to $158 million. The continued growth of the federal arsenal begs the question, just whom are the feds planning to battle? And the article goes on with more examples. This stuff hasn't stopped, though. The IRS, it has already been reported this year, has spent $700,000 on ammunition. Now, are they trying to take ammo out of the market so that Americans can't buy it or perhaps raise the price of ammo due to this increased demand? Maybe. But this quickly becomes one of those things that people don't support at all. But nonetheless, we're told we have to accept it. We shouldn't assume that anything nefarious is going on. That's not what kinds of people the IRS employs. And sure, we admit there's no good explanation for why the IRS needs all of this. But if you assume it's nefarious, you're a conspiracy theorist. The clip you're about to hear is Senator Richard Blumenthal, also known as Danang Dick, because he lied about serving in Vietnam, as Donald Trump has pointed out this weekend. This is from yesterday on CNN. 
The IRS is going to target the highest income Americans, as uh, the saying goes, that's where the money is. That's where they're going to look to collect. The idea that there's going to be this army of IRS agents defending, descending on the average American is just preposterous. And of course, Lindsey Graham is sitting right next to him, smiling along and going, yeah, yeah. But what argument was just made there? See, that was a bit of an obfuscation. That was some misdirection. The idea that these IRS agents, who, by the way, are armed, the idea that they're going to be targeting average Americans, well, that's just something crazy people think. What they're going to be doing is targeting all of the rich people that we're friends with and who are directly aligned with our agenda. That's who they're going to be targeting. Don't you understand? And the reason is because that's where all the money is. The pedestrians don't have all that money. Why would we even bother trying to enforce it on them? They already follow the rules. That's why we pat them on the back so often. But the argument there wasn't that the IRS doesn't have the ability to make the lives of average Americans hellish. It's that they're just not going to do it. That's not their priority. So what Blumenthal is really saying is nothing more than trust us. When have we ever steered you wrong? We would never usurp our authority or abuse our authority. We would never lie to you about our plans. And we would definitely never use the power of federal government agencies to harm and harass average citizens. That is just something we would never do. Now stand six feet apart or you're going to get audited. First, they try the positive reinforcement and then it's the negative reinforcement. If you follow the rules, you get a pat on the back. If you don't follow the rules, well, at least the IRS has a much bigger enforcement mechanism. And oh, yeah, they're armed with things we call the weapons of war when we're trying to take them away from you. Now, you can't be mad at any of this or else you are a climate denier. You can't even suggest that these IRS agents might be doing something that is going to harm American citizens. That's a conspiracy theory. In fact, if you are anything but happy about this reconciliation package passing, you're one of the bad people. And we're going to make sure that the society knows how great this is. Not by arguing that all of the parts of it are actually really good and necessary and won't exacerbate the inflation problem, but simply by declaring victory and saying how great this is for everyone. And they want to weave that into this narrative about how Joe Biden's agenda has suddenly just caught fire with the American public. Everyone is seeing how great a job Joe Biden is doing, and it's only going to get better and better and better as we head into the midterms. Not only has the Democrat Communist Party not failed, they have fixed almost everything, just like they were mandated to do when those 81 million real legal American voters gave them 25 or 27 million extra votes that historical numbers could have never predicted, but universal mail-in ballots could have. And because Democrats in their new brash posture 
really need to hammer home the message of how much ass Joe Biden is kicking, people around Joe Biden began sharing these memes with like the activated laser eyes. If you're not familiar with this meme, it exists a lot in the meme world, whether it's MAGA or it's people on 4chan boards, the laser eyes are, that means activated. So Joe Biden has just been activated before he was just moving right along, just keeping it slow and steady. But now Joe Biden's basically Rambo. He's out there just kicking ass and taking names. He's finally doing everything that Democrats have ever wanted. And so they started a meme of Joe Biden with the activated eyes, and it's being called Dark Brandon. For real, apparently they're trying to own this thing. They don't see any way this could possibly backfire. They're taking their victory lap after the passage of all the Democrats' priorities, except they're not doing a very good job of it because the left can't meme and they mess all this stuff up. This is from the National Pulse today. Yes, the White House's dark Brandon memes contain Nazi imagery with CCP influences. Dark Brandon is the Biden White House's cringe-tastic effort to win back the Let's Go Brandon meme that haunted the perennial COVID-hit president through late 2021 and early 2022. The efforts shared by taxpayer-funded White House staff combines an almost year-late rebuttal to the Brandon memes with the Byronic aesthetic of the well-established Dark MAGA movement. One more problem. It's extremely Third Reich in nature. And it turns out there is a graphic. It's Joe Biden with a beard, a very manly looking beard that he could simply never grow and an eye patch on. I'm not sure what that is exactly for, but it says on the top of it, the malarkey will end. The dark Brandon rises. And this was put out there by Joe Biden's deputy White House press secretary, Andrew Bates, apparently failing to realize that there is a Nazi Reich Eagle in the graphic just behind Joe Biden, all lit up. Or who knows? Maybe he did know what it was. These are the people, after all, who are funding and supporting the efforts of neo-Nazis within Ukraine's military. That's right. On the day the media wants us to buy the idea that Donald Trump demanded his generals behaved like Nazis. And by the way, that's really a story going on right now. He wanted Nazi like loyalty from his generals. That is what the media is trying to tell us. But I'm not sure that story deserves that much time, so I'm not going to go into it today. Anyway, moving on. The current White House is actually promoting Nazi memes to hype its passing of the Inflation Reduction Act. The timing by the White House isn't bad, to be honest, since the IRA, another irony not lost on us, does in fact empower the U.S. government with a stormtrooper-style IRS to snoop through your taxes, all at your expense, of course. But there's more to this story than the White House using the Reichsadler or Parte Adler, I hope I'm saying that right, in its memes. The first thing to note is that this dark Brandon stuff is actually being promoted by corporate media outlets. Check out Slate's take, and they link to the article, which concludes, 
if he can muster a smidge of momentum from the Al-Zwahiri assassination by pulling up the cowl of Dark Brandon, then that is surely better than whatever he's got going right now. After all, Joe Biden's approval rating is already cresting back toward 40%. Dark Brandon strikes again. So Joe Biden has had accomplishments over the past few weeks. The narrative is being set that Joe Biden's presidency is on the ascent right now. It's going to be a great comeback. In fact, he just pulled the cowl up. He is turned into Batman. Sycophantic though Slate may be, the author isn't wrong. Rasmussen polling has consistently noted that when Biden is away in his basement hiding from COVID-19, his approval numbers go up. No wonder the White House would rather use cartoon images of him on social media. The left's pro-Nazi memes are literally more popular than the real Joe Biden. Mel Magazine, which appears to be some kind of soy-sponsored blog site for uh, fanboys, offers, okay, I pledge my soul to Dark Brandon. What's the worst that could happen? Not like regular Brandon was doing such a bang-up job. Trust the process. We are finally winning. Sounds totally normal. Even Rupert Murdoch's Sun newspaper has been hyping Dark Brandon alongside the Daily Dot, as well as the independent newspaper, which ironically is hyper-dependent on Russia and Saudi oligarch largesse. But there's one more part of the Dark Brandon saga, the cherry on the cake, and that is the aesthetic origin of the entire thing. You have this very exaggerated image of a very evil Biden, but also his ability to mobilize these public intellectual zombies in an image is also kind of funny because it has long been China's accusation of the U.S. government that the U.S. is using folks like public intellectuals and scholars within China to carry out peaceful evolution. Victor Xi, associate professor at UC San Diego, told Politico, that's right. It comes from China specifically by an artist named Yang Quan, who sought to portray Biden in a negative light in early 2022. Yes, the pro-Biden memes being disseminated from the hallowed halls of the White House are both Third Reich in nature and hail from the Chinese Communist Party's fellow travelers. Even when the left tries their very hardest to meme, they end up being utterly, utterly cringe. Now, I think that the people who use cringe as an adjective are utterly, utterly cringe, but we can leave that aside. Not only have they made up this story about how Trump wanted generals to be like Nazis, we are also being told a story about how Donald Trump was flushing important White House documents down the toilet, and now we have photographic evidence as claimed by Maggie Haberman of the New York Times. We have pictures of a toilet and in that toilet are papers with handwritten words on them. This is CNN, the most trusted name in news. New book, Maggie Haberman of The New York Times confirms a habit of the former president that wasn't just unhealthy for the White House plumbing. It was bad for the presidency as well. And she's got the photos to prove it. They're kind of gross, but also very important, Maggie. So tell us what we are looking at here. Brianna, thanks for having me. Gross and important, I think, are the two important words here. What you're looking at is two photos, one from the White House, 
which is what the one that uh, looks like it has carpet on the bottom. The other is from an overseas trip that a Trump White source, uh, White House source provided me recently after some of the revelations during the January 6th hearing. Um, you know, this person, like a number of staffers I spoke with, while some of the testimony that has been heard has been disputed, generally found the overall picture of Trump to be pretty familiar with what they'd experienced and they wanted to share them. Now, again, as you say, people are going to make all kinds of jokes about toilets and so forth. It would still be a story if it was a fireplace. And the point is about the destruction of records, which are supposed to be preserved under the Presidential Records Act, which is a a Watergate era uh, creation. Now, this story is basically a rerun. We were already told that Donald Trump was flushing important White House documents down the toilet. That's just what he does to cover up the tracks. He doesn't want anybody to know about all his crimes that they have investigated him for consistently for seven years now, nonstop, and have not actually found anything. But this is it, the smoking gun. It's gross and important. Now, it's not that gross, you see, because it's just a paper in a toilet. We've all seen toilet water before. Most of us see toilet water every single day. So to see a piece of paper with handwriting on it in the toilet is not that gross. I am wondering where the pictures are of those papers after being taken out of the toilet so that we can have some idea of what was on them. Those pictures have not emerged yet, to my knowledge, which makes you wonder if this was some sort of Watergate style offense. And that is what's being implied by Maggie Haberman right there. Why didn't that very important staffer or some intrepid reporter simply deal with the grossness and pull that paper out to see what was on it? I mean, after all, we're talking about saving the country here from the bad orange man. We should at least know what's on these very important White House documents, shouldn't we? Now, I'm not sure this story is actually working as well as CNN intended it to. It's kind of buried on their homepage now. Earlier today, it was explosive new evidence that confirmed the prior explosive evidence. Now, these don't prove the prior story and nothing so far has proven that prior story. But now we have two different things to talk about. We had the original story and now we have two pictures that we're told support the original story. We are told these are actual White House documents. One of them was even taken at the White House, which makes them automatically, in some sense, White House documents, I guess. But even listen to how she just described it. She was saying that staffers from the behaviors they've observed in the White House definitely agree that this is something that could have happened. We're told it's Donald Trump's handwriting on these papers. Is it? I don't know. Who threw the papers into the toilet? Was it Trump? Is that what he did? Did he say, okay, boys, glad we had that secret meeting. I know some of you took notes. What we're going to need to do is get all those notes in a pile and we're going to flush them down the toilet. What a cover up. What nefarious activity they must have been covering up to stoop to these levels, making something gross and important. It's a heinous crime to destroy documents or, you know, evidence like, let's say, emails on an illegal server or text messages wiped from a phone at the Secret Service. 
these are the worst crimes imaginable. As long as it's not, you know, Democrats and uniparty communists destroying the documents, then what they're doing is actually serving a higher good. And so the lower level immorality, that all gets wiped out because they were trying to protect the highest good, which just happens to always align with their own interests. So it's no big deal. But it is a big deal if Trump does it, even if it's a handwritten note about who knows what put in the toilet by no one knows who. So it's basically just like the signs at the crosswalk. You're supposed to obey signals if you're a pedestrian. Nothing's going to happen if you don't obey the signals unless you're the sort of person who doesn't obey signals. If you're the kind of person who would even think about breaking the rules, it's probably because you're too ignorant to even understand why the rules are there, why they're so important. The impact that you breaking the rules might have on the rest of society. And because everyone who breaks the rules are actually bad people, well, they need to be punished. Except, you know, if someone on our side breaks the rules, because the people on our side who break the rules have all agreed to generally follow the rules. So if every now and then they have to break the rules, but it's in the service of the higher morality, then it's not a problem because really these signals, they're only there for the pedestrians to obey. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is Cancel Couture, 
shop.spreadshirt.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!